Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. I'm so excited that we're here together, Tasha, and this is the culmination of a vision that we both had to put this information out into the world in a workshop, and we've decided to package it like this. So we're going to dive into this topic of what does it mean to love yourself? What does it actually mean? Yeah. Right before recording, I was just kind of thinking of, you know, how did we even come up with this topic? And uh, what we are discussing today, the, this this topic of loving ourselves and knowing the difference and, and what it feels like to be loved and 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 also being unloved mm. and, and how do we practice that? Uh, it came from the love that we have for each other, our friendship, our sisterhood, and then us wanting to collaborate and really put something beautiful and meaningful out there. Mm, mm-hmm. And yes, we want to do some classes and we want folks to sign up for our classes, but we also want to reach as many people as we can. And podcasting is a way to do that. So I am looking forward to us diving into all of this talk on on self-love. Mm, me too. Me too. And I think one of the things that we both identified was that a lot of people resonate with wanting to love themselves, but they have no idea what that actually means on a day-to-day basis. So we're going to break it down from our from our own personal lives, but also from our um, therapy practices and our trainings into two parts. What does it mean not to love myself? And then love in action. What does it actually look like? That's right. Love in action. Oftentimes when I am talking to folks and I say, well, do you, you know, how do you love yourself or do you love yourself? And Often people will respond, well, I think I do, but I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes, especially if there's a lot of trauma, the answer is, well, no, I don't. I, I want to learn how. That's central to healing. It's central to becoming. It's central to living our purpose. So this is, it's important. One of the places to start with what does it not mean to love myself is is to first name that we don't come into this world not loving ourselves. For some of us, it's it's such a familiar feeling that we may not remember a time before. But it's really important to start with unlearning and to name that you, if you are struggling to love yourself, that is something that you learned. That is a learned behavior, a learned posture. And so some of the ways that we, you know, would start in therapy is what's the root? You know, where did it start for you? We're not born with this narrative of being unlovable or not loving ourselves. It's caught. It's taught to us directly or indirectly. We received this from someone. So there are so many different layers and burdens that may come down through the line that land on us not loving ourselves. You know, you just use the word burden and and coming through our line. And it's like you were intuitively knowing where I was mm-hmm. going to go mm-hmm. in this conversation. And so when we talk about like, where does this come from? What is the root 
that root could be ancestral. It could be what we call in internal family systems a legacy burden. It could also come from family burdens, family trauma, family experiences, and then our own personal lived experience. And so uh, one of the things that I wanted to discuss is when it comes to unloving, especially if we look at like white supremacy culture, there's ableism, there's sexism, homophobia, transphobia, fat phobia, uh, xenophobia, discrimination of all kinds. And that's passed down to us. And then what are the things that we experience in our families? Well, if there was a lack of presence, a lack of acknowledgement, a lack of validation, respect, a lack of safety, all of those things contribute to us unloving or, or being unloved. If there was no consistency, no support. And basically what I'm saying here is if you didn't have consistent presence, someone saying, I see you, I hear you, I love you, you are important. You are my priority. Let me make sure that I protect and keep you safe. If that didn't happen, that is unloving behavior. And done repeatedly, that's the trauma. That's the trauma. Yeah, that's such an important, important way to describe it. And and that, you know, I know both of us talk a lot about trauma, but trauma is a continuum. You know, there's the trauma that we're maybe used to hearing about with big T trauma, but these are also can be little T traumas that add up over and over and over again. And many people are surprised that what they experience in their childhood would actually be identified as trauma. Some specific ways that we're going to talk about too is abandonment and abuse and the stories that get created around that. The um, abandonment can make us conclude certain things about ourselves that that we're not worthy of care, right? That we're not worthy of being taken care of, that we can't rely on people. There is there is the pain of the abandonment. And then there's also the narrative that gets created from that trauma. A trauma therapist and trainer, Courtney Armstrong, talks about the interpretation of trauma and that not only is the trauma, you know, what impacts us, but it's the interpretation that we're left with later. This was my fault. I deserve this. I'm not lovable. That's why my parent who was struggling with mental illness or addiction didn't take care of me. It's the narratives that get created from the hardship, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma that really also stick with us and, and impact our ability to love ourselves as an adult or see ourselves accurately. Yeah. And so Monica, you know, you said the word worthy and, and what happens often is if other people don't value us, don't teach us that we are worthy, don't prove that we are worthy to them then in our brains, especially as children, we interpret that as I am not worthy. Mm -hmm. I am not worthy. And when this is, again, unchecked, unhealed, we repeat that cycle in ourselves. And then we repeat it in the lives of others around us. And then in terms of, of abuse, there's all different kinds of abuse. 
And oftentimes, and you mentioned it before, we don't usually even like name that, oh my goodness, this was traumatic. This was abusive. Right, right. Oh, wow, I was abandoned. And if I'm thinking about like, what are some types of, of abuse? Well, there's there's emotional, there's, there's verbal, sexual, uh, physical, but then there's also cultural, which I, I kind of discussed a minute ago. You know, if we're looking at cultural abuse, there's there's racial, there's transphobic, there's xenophobic, there's homophobic. And that can play out in families and in religious communities, uh, all kinds in school and all different kinds of places. And so if you're thinking about, OK, well, what did I experience? I feel like we've already just in the few minutes we've been recording have given folks a lot to kind of consider and, and think about as they kind of recall their own experiences growing up. And then based off of how we were treated, based off of our experiences of being unloved, we create stories about ourselves. If a parent didn't spend time with us, then we may feel that we were unimportant. If we were never believed or never heard, we may silence our voices and kind of go with the, the lies that, well, my voice doesn't matter. My opinions don't matter. My stories don't matter. And as children, we blame ourselves. And then as adults, sometimes we blame ourselves and the folks who caused the harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like looking at what am I believing about myself and what is, what is the root of that? And, and I'll take it even further. What was handed to me that does not belong to me? If someone doesn't catch that ball for you, they're handing it to you. And without a guiding, loving person to tell you, drop that, that's not yours to, to carry. Drop it right now. You will carry that into adulthood. Even if you intellectually can say, I know that my parent um, didn't love me well, there's a part of you that will carry that ball forward and say, maybe I, maybe I deserve this neglect, abuse, abandonment, or, or just this lack of interest, just the lack of interest and lack of love or lack of consistency. So yeah, I think that's so important. And I think so many people do not have anyone taking that out of their hands, right? And so children are egocentric, meaning they think everything is about them and is their fault. And so you carry it forward when it's unquestioned. And part of learning to love yourself is learning to question those old automatic narratives that sometimes don't even have words. Sometimes they're deeper than words. They're just a feeling that you're bad, a feeling that you're not good enough, a feeling that you're unworthy. Yeah, and you know, regarding like being egocentric, I sometimes think about, you know, that that phase of life, what is it, maybe like the first 10 or so years of life? And that is the time period. That first 10 or so years is is when all of the supports in our lives should be proving and showing us that we are loved, that we are safe, and everything is supposed to be about us. And when that does not happen, we internalize it. And that is the basis for low self-worth or low self-esteem. It is often the basis for self-harm. It is often the basis for addictions. 
who made us feel loved, who made us feel safe, who made us the priority. I would imagine everyone listening can in some way see themselves reflected through this, whether it's the the larger issues, right, or the, the smaller issues in a family. I'm sure that everyone can see one way in which, wow, this has contributed to me not loving myself. And we're going to talk a little bit more specifically, too, about how do we contribute to our own not loving ourselves. To use Tasha's word, she said, how do we break our own hearts? One of the ways that we talked about is silencing our intuition and also giving away our power and neglecting our own needs. So we can start with silencing our own voice or intuition. Referring, you all will hear me talk about IFS a lot. (laughs) And in IFS, we call like intuition self. And it is the seat of Dr. Richard Swartz developed this model. And it's it's he's got these eight C's that he developed to explain what, you know, what is what is involved in, in self or intuition. And that's calmness, that's curiosity, compassion, confidence, courage, clarity, connectedness, and creativity. And this intuition and self is always with us. But what happens is we are disconnected from self because of trauma. And so this part of loving and healing is to get reconnected to our own voice, our own intuition. And so, you know, sometimes folks say, well, I don't don't know what to do or I don't know my own voice, but self always knows. We always know what to do mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> how to do if we're honed into listening to ourselves and so I guess I also want to add in to me I also see intuition as it's the part of us that has always existed and it existed again but be- before the harm mm-hmm. and it's in the deepest part of our souls our be- our being and so listening to our own internal safety mechanisms regarding who to trust, (laughs) trusting ourselves, trusting what we need. And we're not often taught how to listen to our own selves. We're often not taught to trust our own knowing because the people in our lives intentionally and, but most of the time unintentionally. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Kind of say, Oh no, that's not real. Or, you know, don't think that or don't feel that. And so what Monica and I are asking you to do today is yes, trust that so whatever that is for you, trust the way that your body feels. When you think about a person, when you think about an experience, when you're making a decision, how does your body feel in that moment? Trust what comes up for you, Um, I guess, around trusting certain people, having certain people in your life and however you feel believing yourself. And Monica, you you created this IG reel where it says, I I, I don't remember the exact word, so I'm going to paraphrase. But it was like, you know, no matter what someone else has done to you, don't turn on yourself. No matter who has turned against you, don't turn on yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so when I think about that, it was so beautifully stated. Other people may lie to you. Don't lie to yourself. Right. right. You know the truth. Other people may abandon you. Don't abandon yourself. Other people may neglect you. Don't neglect yourself. Uh, don't deny yourself. Don't harm yourself. Whatever it means to turn on yourself, don't do that thing. And I think that I've kind of drifted away from the the inner knowing. But if we're listening to our inner knowing, then the things that I just named are less likely to happen. Feel into what you need. Feel into what you want and keep asking yourself, what do I need? What do I want in this moment? Mm-hmm. And if, if people are listening and saying, well, how do I do that? You know, what would we tell them? I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is uh, dropping below, you know, dropping lower down than the swirling anxiety, the what do they think? What do they think? I, You know, or that turning on yourself, that inner critic, dropping below to to a certain knowing. And and I love the way you describe um, with internal family systems, the, the description of intuition and self you know, it's calmness and curiosity. So those are some ways and confidence that people can recognize. I, I'm hearing myself. I'm getting into my intuition. Is there anything else that, that we could tell people if they're listening saying, okay, yeah, I recognize I don't listen to myself. That's one way I don't love myself. But what, how do I do that? I often describe it as it's, it's the quiet voice. It's the voice that's not moving or screaming with a motive. I'll relate it to our conversation before we recorded. I was asking you how you were doing. And it was a very quiet voice that was saying, check on Monica. Yeah. And it was right. <laughs> it was right. Yeah, check on Monica. Mm-hmm. She, she's got some feelings right now. Just check on her. And I had nothing to go on. There was no motive attached to it. It was just the voice of love and intuition saying, check on my friend. Yeah, it was 100% accurate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and it wasn't, oh my goodness, what if I don't check on her? This thing will happen or that, because that's not, no, 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 none of that. It was just check on your brand. And so often it's it's a quiet voice. It is without motive. It is without the parts of us that are anxious. It's without the parts of us that are people pleasing. It's without the parts of us that may be controlling or manipulative or self-seeking it's usually got our highest regard in mind. And when I think of intuition, it's either from a standpoint of, of safety and love. It's, it's rooted in, in safety and in love. And so listening, we all have that voice. Just listening. Well, some of the other ways that we don't love ourselves or, you know, again, to use your beautiful phrase, we break our own hearts, is that we give away our power. You know, we give away our power um, in many different ways. And this is when we agree with whether it's the internal critic or external voices, we we give away our power in agreeing with those, you know, not not disagreeing with those. And then we also neglect our own needs. And, you know, I think that this is something that probably most people listening can identify with. But, you know, one of the things that that is very small and maybe sounds silly is that 
probably many people listening are familiar with not eating when you're hungry or even going to the restroom when you need to go to the restroom, right? And these are small little examples, but I, I, I give them to say that on foundational bodily functional levels, we often neglect our own needs and, and it's hard to feel like we're loving ourselves when we are you know, having a low blood sugar crash or we're dying to use the bathroom and and we're not even tapped into those things. So I think those are some other ways that we, we you know, really don't take care of ourselves. We neglect our own needs. You named eating and, and like not using the restroom, holding, you, you know, our, our urine and, and whatever. And we don't all have to have a nurse's bladder. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also how does this, show up this neglecting our own needs. It's when we are maybe experiencing depression at its very basic form, very basic. Depression is intense loneliness. And so what is, when I am depressed, when I'm at my lowest, what do I need? Often what we need is community care. We need community support because we're going to talk a lot about self-care, but we can't heal if we also don't have community care. So who is in your community? And if I'm depressed, sometimes I'm neglecting sharing my experiences with people that I love. Where does that come from? Typically that comes from, well, before when I felt this way or experienced this, no one attended to me. No one believed me. No one was there to comfort and nurture me. So I learned to just go inward and and just just kind of silence myself and deal with it on my own hyper independence. But if you have people in your life, sometimes and I'll use myself as an example, when I experience bouts of depression, I sometimes forget I have a part that forgets that I have people. I can call and say, hey, I'm really struggling. I can send a text and say, hey, I need y'all. I need I need support. And so thinking about what do I need? Do I need my people? Do I need a hug? Do I need to know that it's going to be okay? Do I simply need to call someone and be heard, maybe to cry without having them feel like they need to fix it or make excuses or anything? Maybe I just need someone to listen. Other needs could be Maybe it's environmental needs. Maybe there's some things in my home, in my immediate, you know, environment. I don't know what word to use that that needs to be changed. But whatever that is, know that it's possible for you. It's accessible to you. But first is is really going inward and 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 figuring out. Okay, what is this thing? What do I need right now? There's so much compassion and, and permission just in the way you're describing that. And I think so often um, we believe our needs are the problem, but our needs were never the problem. The problem was our responses that we got to our needs, whether it was neglect, whether it was shaming, whatever. Our needs were never actually a problem, but so many adults believe that having needs is a problem, you know? And so I, I find it helpful to separate the two. The responses you got is what made it feel like your needs were a problem. But every need you have, every need that Tasha just described, whether it fits with you or there's other needs, they're not a problem and, and they deserve to be met. And that's part of loving yourself. 
So you all, I have this um, this needs inventory and it's from the Center for Nonviolent Communication. If you Google needs inventory, it'll come up on Google. Oftentimes I will kind of send this to clients and say, ask yourself in this moment, what do I need? Do I need, and I'm looking at, I'm just reading from this, this list on the inventory. Do I need connection? Do I need uh, movement, rest, shelter, touch, water? Do I need honesty? Do I need play? Maybe I need a quality or inspiration or order. Maybe I need choice, space, spontaneity, meaning, clarity, discovery, growth, hope, learning. And oftentimes, I know Brene Brown has also talked about this in her new book, The Atlas of the Heart, is oftentimes our language is we just don't have the language for even naming what do I need? You're so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so pulling up this list may be able to kind of help you articulate to yourself and to others the thing, the void that's there uh, or the need that is there in, you know, in the moment. Oh, I love that. It's so helpful. And it it goes from, you know, water to honesty, right? We're talking emotional uh, to literally the physical needs, right? All across the continuum. I I find that so helpful. I'm going to um, for sure pull that up for myself and we will link it in in the show notes. But another way that we don't love ourselves is invalidating ourselves. And we really invalidate ourselves a lot of the times. It sounds like I shouldn't feel this way. Maybe I just imagined that. No one else felt that way. Maybe I'm overreacting. And the thing is that just allowing your feelings to exist and allowing yourself to make sense, no matter what people think or don't think about it, is a way to love yourself. So when we invalidate ourselves, we are automatically maybe repeating what we what we received growing up or what we received in, in a larger a larger sense in the world. Um but invalidating ourselves is one is one way. And again, oftentimes if we're not believed or validated, then we practice, we internalize it and we practice the same thing. You know, I, I've had certain things I, I, that I've experienced in my life, uh, whether that was childhood trauma, uh, neglect and, and all kinds of things. And I remember thinking about certain traumatic events, but not even seeing that, oh my goodness, that was traumatic. Right, right, yes. That that event mattered. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't until therapy that I realized that, oh, I wasn't asking or expecting too much or the thing that I really, like... That, that was important. And, and for me, that was um, being checked on by family. I didn't know that that was, that was a huge need for me, having that support. Quality time is important. That's one thing that I, that I didn't have growing up. And so oftentimes, and so I grew up thinking, you know, as an adult that, oh, you know, no big deal. I can do everything alone. I'm, you know, I'm by myself. It's okay. Well, that didn't last too long, Monica. That, and so in certain ways in my belief systems, I was invalidating my own needs based off of 
what the people in my life told me. And so if you're listening to this episode, think about what ways have you invalidated yourself or invalidated your own needs for belonging, for support, for physical needs. Mm. Yeah, the invalidating and the needs go so, you know, hand in hand. And and if you experienced invalidating growing up, it can be it could be as as um it's the words the word small is the wrong word, but it could be as just one moment of, of someone saying to you, that's not scary. Don't be scared of that. To all the way across the continuum to so many other things, it, it, it those small things that cause you not to trust your intuition, that cause you to neglect your needs. Um, I I really liked Tasha how you use that word practice. What what we do is we then practice that internally what we what we received, and and that goes into also the the self critical judgment inner critic. You know that we we're going to talk about. It's one of the ways that we don't love ourselves, um, and a lot of people listening are probably familiar with. The internal critic um, idea, and but one of the ways that it often comes out is is the way we talk about ourselves or talk about our feelings. You know, sometimes in a session with a client, I might gently stop a client and say, "Wait a second! Like, I feel the desire to defend you against yourself right now. This harshness. Where is this? Where did you first hear that? Who first spoke to you that way? Whose voice are we are we hearing right now?" That is so powerful. The whose voice are you hearing right now? Sometimes, you know, we're just kind of going about our, our day-to-day stuff, but we hold these beliefs that that we're not smart enough or that we need to work harder, that we're lazy. We need to work harder, that we're unmotivated, that we don't deserve to rest, and that goes back to, is that an ancestral burden? Is that is that family stuff? Uh, is, is that cultural stuff? Whose voice are we listening to? That inner critic has a root. And what and who is rooted in what you are believing right now? Because if you can understand that, then you'll know that that's not really coming from you. And so getting really clear on whose voice are you listening to? And so one of the things I'm hearing throughout this whole part um, that we're about to wrap up about what does it mean not to love yourself is we're really separating self and intuition from these other harmful things, right? Whether they're harmful, larger cultural things rooted in white supremacy, whether they're your family, um, day-to-day things, we're really... Part of not loving yourself is that we learned that, right? You don't come into the world not loving yourself. And part of unlearning that is separating out what is myself and then whose voice am I hearing? One of the last parts that, you know, two parts that we we're going to talk about is self-betrayal and unforgiveness of ourselves. And so the self-betrayal is kind of what Tasha alluded to earlier is, is, is where do I turn turn on myself. You know, we often betray ourselves when we feel betrayed. We reject ourselves when we feel rejected. And um, why is that? You know, we create this secondary pain. There's the real pain that's happening in our adult lives, but then we, then we agree with it. And oftentimes we agree with it because we believe it's our fault or we deserve this bad thing or we don't deserve this good thing. So 
one of the ways that we don't love ourselves is to turn on ourselves and also not to forgive ourselves. So I don't know if there's any anything else, Tasha, that you would add to those those two. I feel like we've really covered in great detail how we turn on ourselves, but I did want to talk about unforgiveness. And this is important because I would say a great majority of us at some point, we, we've dealt with shame. And if you've experienced trauma, then shame is right there. And sometimes we have shame because of what we experienced It's and it's a secret and, and we're holding what was done to us, but then we're also holding shame regarding how we have protected ourselves since that event happened mm, mm-hmm. and decisions that we've made. In this process of growing, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do some things that maybe had we known better and had better resources and had better support, we would have been given, we would have made different decisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I often say that no matter what you have done in your life, no matter what has happened, you were either trying to protect yourself, meet a need, or love yourself. And can you go back to the previous version of yourself, the younger version, whether that's 10-year-old you, 19-year-old you, 25-year-old you, whatever age, 45-year-old you, can you tell that person You were just trying to do the best that you could at the time, loving, protecting, and meeting your own needs. You did the best that you knew how in the moment. And even if you didn't do the best, you were doing what you needed to do with the information that you had. And is it okay to now forgive your previous self for whatever? And we can kind of label that point in our lives as simply learning. You learned from it. You experienced a thing. You made some mistakes. Some things happened and you learned from it. Because if you didn't learn from it, you wouldn't be listening to this today. You wouldn't be at this point. So I'm talking to people that have had a lot of life experiences There was some meaning to some of it. And for some of it, maybe it wasn't. But it's not all lost. It's not all in vain. You learned from it. It's okay to forgive yourself now. There must be people listening right now, exhaling maybe in a way that they haven't for the first time with the way that you described that. I've never heard anything like that described that way. You know, and the compassion of this was a learning you were either trying to protect yourself, meet a need, or to love yourself. I can almost hear those exhales, you know, for whoever they're for. It has been pivotal in my own growth and my own healing to go back to younger Tasha and say, girl, you were doing the best you could at the time. And to let her know that I love her and I want her to be free. I don't want to keep punishing the younger versions of me when she was simply trying to love, to protect, or meet a need. That's it. Yeah, so powerful. That seems like a really, a really beautiful place to for us to then move into the second part, which is 
which is love in action. You know, so we've talked about sort of unlearning and what contributes to us not loving ourselves. Why? Why does this happen? But what does it mean to actually love ourselves? You know, this is all over Instagram. I'm sure I put it on Instagram, loving yourself. But what does it actually mean? And so we're going to break it down. And one of the first places we're going to start is with believing yourself that you make sense. One of the things I often say to my clients and I often say to my own children is I believe you. I believe you. You know, maybe they're telling me about, you know, say one of my children, something really um, stressful or painful that happened at school with a teacher or a peer. I believe you. Or a client talking about something that happened in their childhood that they've never really talked about before. or They feel disloyal to their caregivers. I believe you. And this is one of the ways that we can love ourselves is just to believe our own experience. Say, you know, I believe you. You're having a hard day and you're feeling really stressed and overwhelmed, simply saying, I believe you. We've been talking about like just kind of how we go inside of ourselves and and this practice of believing ourselves. I think it also goes hand in hand with validation, which I know you're going to cover here in a minute. Sometimes believing yourself is simply, again, just trusting how you feel in the moment. So it, it may be when an emotion comes up, whether that is fear or apprehension, even anger, whatever comes up and saying it's, it's okay to feel that way. Even telling your system, I feel you. Saying that to the, you know, whatever parts that show up, I feel you, I believe you, I know you're there, it's okay to be felt, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be nervous, it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to be cautious. That practice every day of just saying it is okay and I am okay. Is how we can start to practice believing ourselves. Mm. It's such a beautiful way that you just just described validation, you know, too. Like it's it's okay to feel that way. And so many people didn't get that simple, loving, but powerful foundational affirmation. It's okay. I think one of the things oftentimes that people are honestly, they, they're afraid of validating themselves. I run into that a lot. Like, well, does that mean I'm condoning every single thing I think, say, or do? And no, it's not the same thing as saying you're perfect or flawless, or you don't have growth areas. It's just like Tasha described. It's, it's okay that you feel that way. It's okay that you're angry or scared or confused or overwhelmed or sad. It doesn't mean that you like every behavior you're doing with that. It doesn't mean that you may not want to change some things, but you can start by believing yourself and allowing yourself to actually have space in yourself that I do feel this way and starting with validating. That lays the foundation anyway for any behavioral change we might want to make is that loving, compassionate validation. You have to start where you are, right? Not with where, where you think you should be. Yeah, Monica, it, it makes me think about it. It's, it's like if, you know, if you ever fail and, and let's say you fell off your bike as a child, and you're bruised, maybe bleeding a little bit and crying. And if an adult says to you, 
oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. You're okay. Get up. You're, you're strong. Come on. You know, no big deal. That is invalidating. It is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what validation looks like is, oh my goodness, that looks really painful. Let's, let's go take care of that. Yeah, that would hurt. If I fell in that way, that would hurt me too. Let's go get you cleaned up. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry that you fail. You know, Uh, that's what validation is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so again, oftentimes, depending on how we grew up, we, we learn to invalidate our own pain. Oh, I'm strong. I can, I can deal with it. I can deal with anything. I used to say this, I can deal with anything for a short amount of time. And now I'm at the point in my life where I don't really want to deal with anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) even for For a short amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so really paying attention to how I validate my own needs and what am I saying to myself? I think oftentimes people are afraid to validate that they will increase someone's drama or increase the child, you know, that it'll, it'll negatively impact them. We're so taught, uh, you know, to, to kind of suppress feelings, right? That we're almost afraid to validate them, that it'll make it all worse. But the opposite is usually true, which is when you validate that child that fell, like, ouch, that must really hurt. Or you validate yourself. Wow. I feel so rejected right now. And so insecure, you know, just like a, like a crying child, your, your system is much more likely to calm, be soothed, connected and move through that feeling. Right. So I think that that's one thing that I just want people to, to remember is that we're really taught not to validate. Like in on many levels and in many different ways that we don't have time to unpack today, um, but that but that validation is actually freeing and helps you move through feelings. Now, Tasha, did you want to talk some about you know listening to your intuition? And this is a way that we can love ourselves. And we've touched on it a little bit before. I don't know if we want to add some more here. I think that this listening to our intuition, what, what comes to mind, I just want to, you know, speak to it a little bit more is notice when your body feels unsettled. Notice when there is confusion. Notice when there is peace. And without like going into it too much, it's just the moments when when you just, when something just feels right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does not feel rushed. It does not feel pressured. It feels peaceful. It, there's ease, there's calm. And then it's kind of also making me think about the aspects of self, you know, from IFS, your intuition, there's clarity. And I use this example when when looking for a home, you may look at different homes and 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 some things, you know, are like, oh, yeah, it's in a great neighborhood. Maybe it has a really large backyard or and maybe it has some things in the community that you need. But you may not really feel settled in in the homes that you're looking at. But then you get to a home and it's in an area of town that you like. And it's got the necessities. For me, my necessities are grocery stores, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) beauty shops. (laughs) Um, It has to be close to an airport. And the home has got to be in a condition where 
for me, it's I'm not having to pour a lot of money in as soon as I move in. So it's in it's in good condition. I, I can't for myself move into a home that is an automatic fixer upper. I'm looking for updates from the previous owner, basically, and that it's been well kept. And so really thinking about what is, what is important to me and being led by your intuition will lead you to where, where do I want to be? Where do I feel safe? What feels right for me versus what are other people saying? What are other people trying to convince me of? You know what's right for you. So tapping into what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel calm, and what just feels right for your personality, for your quirks, for your needs, all in there, your intuition is guiding you. So be led by those things. It comes to mind for me to share that sometimes we feel our intuition, but we also feel anxious. Sometimes we feel our intuition, but we also feel scared or worried. And so, you know, for everyone listening, the more you listen to your intuition, the more you'll recognize it. But you, it also may not be this beautiful experience with a cup of tea and a candle. You know, it may be a, a little bit more nuanced than that. It may be a little bit more layered and you may have several different feelings competing at the same time. And so just that that's that intuition can be just like that, but it's dropping down below the anxiety or however you envision it. Or if it's a spiritual thing, a spiritual knowing, you know, that this is my intuition. Um, some people describe it as warm versus cold. And I can't credit who I heard this from because I heard it from several places. But sometimes your intuition feels warm, you know, and sometimes it feels like you're drawn to something versus cold and feeling like you're not drawn to something. And so just, you know, loving yourself is learning to, to listen to that. I love that, that, that with your intuition, with your knowing, you can also hold that, yeah, there's, there may be some fear. And I always like to say, you can bring that fear right along with you. It's important to acknowledge it, to say, I feel you. I know you're there. Of course, you're going to be anxious about making a decision, especially if you've not been able to to be supported in your own decision-making. It can feel weird to make your own decision if you've been in relationships where there's been some gaslighting or some even some spiritual bypassing. It can be hard to honor your intuition if you're in a controlling relationship where someone else made the decisions for you or didn't allow you to have agency and autonomy. So it's okay to be anxious and to acknowledge that anxiety because listening to your intuition, you may be, this may be new and it's okay to acknowledge the part of you that is anxious, the part of you that is unsure and to say, I feel you, I know you're there, but also when you get still and like Monica said, when you drop down in your system, you know what is right for you. So good. And, and it bridges really well to, you know, being willing to challenge your fears and do things that are scary. This is, Tasha, can you share with us a little bit about this? This is something that 
I think is so under discussed about loving yourself. You know, it's like you're worth the you're worth the risk, right? You're worth it. Whatever it is, you know, whether it feels like a small risk to other people or it feels like a big risk, you're worth it. Yeah, it can be really scary to sometimes we fear failure, for instance. Oh, I don't want to write this book because what will other people say about it? I don't want to get this new job. What if I, what if I fail? What if I don't get along with the team? Or um, what if I don't know what I'm doing? We fear failure. We fear disappointing others. And that fear alone can stop us before we even get started. And just like I said before, it is okay to acknowledge the fear Of course, you're going to have some anxiety when you start a new job. Of course, you're going to have some anxiety when you're making a new decision, when you're in a a life transition, that fear is going to come up. You can acknowledge it and you can bring it right along with you. Because on the other side of that fear are the things that you've been manifesting and desiring for yourself, whether that is a relationship. Oftentimes we prevent ourselves, you know, in an effort to protect ourselves, we say, okay, I'm, well, I'm not going to meet anybody new. I'm not going to have any new friends. I'm not going to fall in love again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to date because I don't want my heart broken. I don't want to be hurt. But if you never date platonically or romantically, if you never introduce yourselves to new people and allow new people to come into your life, then you never get to know what it means to be loved, to share your life with somebody, to have new experiences to trust others and to be trusted. And so you do have to, if you want, again, in in this vein of like loving yourself, it means knowing that the things that you want, you're, you're worthy of it and you can do it. And failure is not like the end. Okay, if the relationship doesn't work out, it's okay. Love is still out there for you. And I heard somebody say this. I don't remember who it was, but they said all of the anxiety that we're carrying. What would happen if you just said to yourself, future me, I don't have to worry about the future because future me will know exactly what to do. Mm, That's so good. So much self-trust there. Right. Because everything that we've been through up until this point, we've gotten through it one way or the other. We're still here. We're still learning. We're still growing. We're still trying. And we figured out each each situation in our lives. So I don't have to be anxious about the future because future me will know one way or the other what to do, just like past me has. Is that does that make sense, Monica? Gosh, yes. I feel like my chest just like opened. Um, personally, it's so good. That's just wow. That is so good. Future me will know what to do. You know, and and I I have a, a friend who used to say who had been through a lot of different things. The grace for the moment doesn't appear until that moment. You know, which is a different version. That's not that's not as much self trust, but it's that you don't have what you need for that future thing yet, but you will. You will. You will. You absolutely will. So don't give up before you even get started. Yeah. You're worth you're worth 
the scary risk if, you know, if it's something that you feel in your intuition to do. We're here to talk about self-forgiveness next. But, you know, I think that you really covered that, Tasha. I, I would say, you know, for anyone listening to go back and listen to that part again, if, if you know, because that I think that you just described that so beautifully. So in addition to these things, you know, love and action, actually loving ourselves means listening to and meeting my own needs. And we've talked about this some, but in particular, we can talk about nurturing your inner child or um, what you did need then it may need part of what you have now. Is there anything you would add about meeting our own needs as a way to love ourselves in addition to what we said before? Yeah, the nurturing my inner child, you know, if you're listening and you, you're like, well, what does that even mean? It means that when you, when you think about when memories of your younger self comes up, what emotions come to mind? Hopefully there's compassion. Hopefully there's empathy. Hopefully there's respect. Hopefully there's understanding. When I nurture my inner child, I say, wow. You know, I, I, I talk to her, I tell her, Ooh, you know, you're so strong. I love you. Your voice matters. Whether anybody is listening to it or not, your voice matters. When I validate and nurture my inner child, I'm also letting her know that no matter who walked away, who abandoned her life, is not indicative on people that aren't there. That she gets to be loved, she gets to be provided for, she gets to be protected, she gets to be heard, and she was born mattering. That That is not indicative of people who didn't treat her in the way that she needed to be treated. And to let her know that present day Tasha loves her and, and she matters to present day Tasha. She's believed by present day Tasha. And so I kind of went kind of deep on that. Another way of just really basic nurturing your inner child is thinking about what are some things that I wanted as a, as a kid that I didn't receive and giving that to yourself today, practicing that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like uh, an attentive ear validation, care, compassion. You know, a lot of times people, you know, joke about the inner child and therapy and all that stuff, but it's really at the root of so many um, powerful and important and transformative psychological, you know, theories, right? So whether you're healing trauma or, or, you know, IFS, internal family systems, that, you know, your inner child is is in you, right? And so oftentimes when maybe you're feeling anxious or um, worried or even depressed, it might be a, a younger part of you needing attention, right? It might be a younger part of you needing your attention at that time. So I love the way that you describe that. And we can just even put our hand on our heart and just say like, I hear you. I see you. I know you're scared right now, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to take care of you. And this is something that I know Tasha and I both do in therapy with people, you know, is helping them, you know, learn to do that. And it can be really, really, really nurturing. So the next one we we're going to talk about was boundaries. So, you know, loving yourself includes having boundaries. I really like the the um, delineation between internal and external boundaries. You know, external boundaries is interpersonal. 
what you're going to yes and say yes to and say no to. Internal boundaries means what you'll allow in. Whose opinion are you going to ruminate about? Who's, you know, whose input are you going to seek or allow in, right? Whose rejection of you matters? Because, you know, not everyone is going to be approving of us at all times and all decisions we make. So external boundaries is a way that you love yourself in relationships. Internal boundaries is, is how you protect your inner world, really. You know, like I think about it like leaving your front door open. If you leave your front door open, anybody any person, any animal that walks by would can just come in, you know, and, and put their feet up. And that's how our internal worlds are. We oftentimes have just allowed anybody's thoughts, opinions to just come in and take up residence. And I always like to say too, you know, regarding relationships with others, every relationship, no matter who it is, you do need consent and you need boundaries in every relationship. What am I allowing in my life? What are the non-negotiables even? And a non-negotiable could be the way that we communicate with each other. Is there name calling in the relationship? Is there anyone in your life that's overly critical or judgmental? Is there anyone who does not respect your decisions And really looking at, you know, again, what are the boundaries? We don't often learn these in our families. We we learn to do for others, to take care of others. Uh, we, We don't often learn how to take care of ourselves and honor our own needs. And so looking at your relationships and and what are the boundaries? Have they been communicated? I think of this example. If you oftentimes have a family member who drops by the house and they don't call or make sure it's okay first, they're unannounced. And if that that unannounced visitor, if that's unwanted, then that's a place where a boundary is needed. Mm -hmm. And so it may look like, you know, maybe just explaining to them that, that in the future you would appreciate a call or a text to see if you have capacity to have company, if it's a good time. And then maybe just stating in, you know, in the future, let's check and let's, let's, let's get it scheduled so that, that I can spend uninterrupted time with you so that, you know, I'm not worried about taking care of the kids or I'm not just fresh home and exhausted from work. Um, But I have the emotional capacity to socialize, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you've not ever, you know, kind of stated your boundaries, also looking at, you know, what created that that relationship dynamic where you didn't feel safe or comfortable even voicing how you feel. Every relationship needs consent and boundaries, no matter what. So good. So good. We don't often, or at least I don't see it very often, boundaries linked to learning to love yourself, you know? And what you're describing there, Tasha, is, you know, checking in with what you want and what you need, checking in with what you can and can't do, right? That was, that's a big part of then 
okay, but this is what works. This is what doesn't work. And just, I, I really appreciate you, you know, reminding all of us that every relationship needs consent and boundaries. Cause I think so often we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll set boundaries with my boss at work or, but when it comes to, you know, my aunt or my mother-in-law, you know, they can do whatever they want, you know? And I think that's so important. Well, one of the things about loving yourself is being a safe person to yourself. Very often you hear about being an emotionally safe person with other people, you know, that's having healthy boundaries like Tasha was describing. But so often we don't do this with ourselves, right? We turn on ourselves, as we've said before. Um, And so what is emotional safety? It's really being consistent, reliable, non-judgmental. And and not turning on yourself for cheering yourself on when when things are good and allowing yourself to cry and being with yourself when things are hard, you know it's allowing yourself to feel what you feel and and really not you know not going into the invalidating or the criticizing just being a safe place for yourself I find just to be such a grounding thing to remind ourselves you know like be that for you be that for you you know sometimes especially the part about like feeling your feelings. Sometimes folks will say, Oh, I don't, I don't want to cry because, um, because I just feel silly or, or I feel weak. No, you're, you're a literal human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have emotions and feelings for a reason. And you get to express your emotion in whatever way that comes up. And so maybe there were some things passed down from from parents or caregivers who said, you know, that crying was weak or um, that people in your family didn't show that kind of emotion. But you get to do that for yourself. So that is what it means to be a safe person for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're sad, you get to go inside and, and acknowledge, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really sad. And, and just another example is in terms of like meeting your own needs and being a safe person. I think that, that when it comes to, let's say inner, inner critic, hating your body or, or, or feeling like your body is not the the size or the shape that you want it to be. If I'm being a safe person to myself, I'm not going to say anything against myself to hurt me. I'm not going to use words to describe my body that aren't, loving towards me because the opposite of that, 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 that inner critic, that self-loathing, all of that stuff, the harshness that we kind of harsh language that we use against ourselves and our, and our own bodies, that's self-harm. That that's, that's practicing self-harm. What would happen if you practiced really loving you and appreciating the body that carries you, the body that wakes you up every day, that takes you from point A to point B, the, the heart beats. Like you don't have to tell your heart to beat. It just beats. You don't have to tell your lungs to operate. They just do. What would happen if you spoke to your body and showed gratitude for the ways in which it takes care of you and protects you? That's being a safe person to yourself not comparing yourself to other people, but appreciating who you are. You know, those are things we wouldn't, we would all agree we shouldn't do or say to someone else, right? But so easily and so quickly, you know, we're, we're not 
caring for our own selves with the way we talk to ourselves, you know, that, so, you know, you're really covering kind of the, the thanking your body that we wanted to discuss as we start to wrap up and, and communication, you know, how you speak to yourself. I really appreciate how you described, you know, that that's a type of self-harm. I think we're, we're all familiar with um, the concept of self-harm that we read about that is physical. But I'm really glad that you named like this is harming yourself the way you speak to yourself. If you speak to yourself in a disparaging way and that loving yourself is really using kind, loving um, communication with you and you deserve that. And, you know, part of why we're being so uh, detailed too is because we're trying to help us all learn to put love in action. You know, what does it actually mean on a day-to-day basis? And I think you just gave us so many actionable items, you know, thanking my body that my heart is beating, that it's carrying me, what it's gotten me through. I also want to talk about, I had written this on Instagram a while back and it's, And it's loving our okayness. I love this. Yeah. A tool of white supremacy culture is perfectionism. And so how I dismantle white supremacy culture in my own life and how I dismantle trauma and all of that kind of stuff is reminding myself that I don't have to get it right all the time. I know that I won't. So why is why is I'm not going to set a requirement for myself to be perfect all the time? I get to have days and moments where I'm just okay. I get to mess up. I get to learn lessons. So I'm honoring my okayness. To me, that is it's very freeing. It's very healing to just say, you know what, I'm 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 good. I don't have to have the best material things. I don't have to have the best job, the best anything. I get to be okay because I'm active on Instagram. Sometimes I will see that I've made a typo. And it's like, you know what? There's there's times when I will delete it and start again. And then there's other times where I might leave it. Like, it's okay. It's all right. That typo does not is not indicative of whether I'm professional or whether I'm intelligent or not. I know that I am. So I don't have to always be perfect. We get to be okay. And I'm asking those of you who are listening to please honor your okayness. There's a lot of beauty in that, a lot of freedom in that. There is. It's just one of my favorite things that that you teach us all about. I, I love it so much. And, and it's a reminder that, you know, you don't have to strive towards some mysterious um, exceptionality, you know, to be worthy and to be loved right now. You know, you can, you know, be exactly who you are, where you are today. And there's just so much permission in the specificity of loving our okayness. The last part that we are going to talk about is becoming the person you always needed and loving yourself that way. Sometimes I've heard people talk about this idea and this might sound sad. So let me, let me go ahead and preface that, but that no one else is coming. And, and what I mean by that is not a depressing thing that we're alone because we need each other and need community and need to reach out to each other. But, but that, you know, oftentimes we're almost waiting to feel better, to love ourselves as if, you know, someone could do that for us. Now we, 
in community, we can definitely learn to do that more and more for each other. But there's something I feel like on the other side of that, that feels very empowering and freeing to become the person that you always needed. Who is it that young you needed? What did they need? Who is it that you today need? You know, I I imagine that you have resources and love and patience and compassion in you that are not even fully tapped, right? And so just that that freeing idea of loving yourself by by saying, who did I need? And and I'm going to be that for her today. I'm going to be that for her today. Maybe that's simply being compassionate. Maybe that's this beautiful idea of loving your okayness that Tasha just told us about. But being that person, I think, can be really freeing in a way to kind of just really love yourself. I don't know how much, if anything, I could I could add to that. That was so beautifully stated. This, again, this practice of self-love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this practice of being what you need, it really is a daily practice. So glad you said that. Mm-hmm. And when I say a daily practice, it doesn't come with a whole lot of like efforting or struggle. It's incorporating something new, something that you've you've never done before. It's it's asking yourself, can I consider myself? Mm. What a question. Yes. Wow. Can I consider me? Can I prioritize me? Can I protect me? Can I honor me? So so being what you've always needed will require you to ask yourself first, what have I always needed? It will also require you to even look at, you know, younger versions of yourself and say, what did she need? And once you start answering those questions, the answer should come pretty, pretty easily. And sometimes it's as simple as... I need to be listened to and believed. Can I do that for myself? We talked about that at length. Mm -hmm. Can I love on me? In the absence of loving caretakers, loving parents, can I love me? We've given you lots in terms of like, what does love even mean? Think about that needs inventory. And so really thinking more about and practicing how you take care of yourself every day, yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, being what you've always needed. You can give yourself so many of those things. And that, again, does not erase other people's responsibilities or the even the need for other people. But start with you first. So good, Tasha. I feel like you just gave us, you know, a real practical, applicable way to walk out after listening to this and, and love ourselves. What, what do I need? What did I need? What do I need today? That it's not, I love your, your term. It's not efforting. It's not striving. It's really listening. It's really listening. It's really gentle. You know, it's really, it's really kind. And The thing that occurs to me as we wrap this up is that we're practicing something every day. I love how you've brought that word practice into this discussion. We're practicing not loving ourselves or we're practicing loving ourselves, you know? And so just thinking about it as a gentle, what's next? When you look in the mirror, 
when you, you know, get however you commute to work, right? When you pick up that child, what do you need? What do you need? You're going to be practicing something one way or the other, right? And so listening in to what you need. Love that. I have loved this discussion. I hope that you all that are that are listening will start to practice honoring, respecting, tending to, acknowledging your wounds, tending to your wounds, and just know that you are worthy mm-hmm. and that you are loved. We want to hear from you if this episode has been of value to you. Reach out to us and let us know. Share it with other people that may need it. Um, If you're a therapist, share this episode with your clients. Share this with your family, (laughs) with your friends. And let's start a conversation and let's start a revolution on loving ourselves. Mm, I love it. I love it. And I've loved doing this with you. And I and I just hope everybody, you know, feels like they had a moment to to love themselves, you know, and to feel this love by listening. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.